Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Matty's house was a spacious brick box with a fancy ironwork veranda and a garden full of azaleas. A Victorian gentleman's residence, she said, or more likely the place where a Victorian gentleman secreted his mistress. Family in Mayfair, lady friend in Hampstead. It would have been considered frightfully out of town. The road ran along a little crease in the fabric of the heath, coming to a dead end at a bolt of rabbit-cropped turf. From the rear windows of the house you could see only trees. Who would know we were in London, said Matty, nearly every day. (laughs) Welcome back to the Curiously Specific Book Club Podcast with me, Tim Wright, and you, Lloyd Shepherd. This is the second part of our adventure with Lissa Evans' book, Crooked Heart. Yes, uh, set in World War II. We'll get to the specific dates of that book, of of when it's set later on. We spent the first part of the uh, podcast in St Albans. Yes. Where our hero, Noel Bostock, is evacuated to. Full of churches. Uh, Of of all all denominations. denominations. (laughs) Jinx. Jinx. Uh, Of all denominations. Of all denominations. An extraordinary number of different churches. Worth a visit. Very worth a visit. Very nice. Historic. Yeah, you might call it. The cathedral was great. Yes. Even if the war memorial was somewhat hard to track down. Oops. Oops. <laughs> um, but now we're back in North London. We are. We've tum- come down the Thames Link. We got the Thames into Kentish Town. But uh, we're going to start where the book starts, actually. Yes. In uh, in the Vale of Health. The Vale of Health. In Hampstead. Ah, now, the Vale of Health, just to set it, is a hamlet in North Hampstead with more to it than most maps suggest, says HiddenLondon.com. Okay. It used to be called... Of course, I like this. Is it, it used to be called Hatchet's Bottom. Who oh. <laughs> changed the name? Somebody well, in marketing. the Hampstead Water Company. Oh, really? Uh, in order to sort of like sell the idea. Of, there's a big pond there, yeah. which is mentioned in the book. They wanted to encourage day trippers to come and go to the hotel there and take the waters. Right. Even though the waters weren't in the city. And um, the interesting thing about it that we found, and you, we will talk about is and she doesn't mention in the book is that it was actually the place where they stored all the equipment for the Hampstead Fair that used to happen three times a year. Yeah. And the place wasn't very posh. 
no. until uh, after World War One, I, I suspect. Before that, it was it was known to be quite a sort of rough area, full of what we might call carnies. Carnies. <laughs> <laughs> I like that word. Yeah. I shouldn't use it really, but yeah. but uh, fairground Is people. Carnies not acceptable anymore. I don't think so. People who work on fairs. Do we have to call them fairground operatives now, or something? Or I would have. I would have thought so. Entertainment phrase. professionals. <laughs> executives. <laughs> executives. I would think they're probably immersive experience designers. <laughs> yeah, of course they are. Of course they are. <laughs> and so we shall go and find the immer- yeah, <laughs> we go immerse find- ourselves in the Vale of Health. Let's go and find some immersive entertainment in the Vale of Health. They crossed the road and were straight away among tall trees on a sandy path. Up ahead, she could hear a chorus of ducks. Did you... She turned his words over in her mind. Did you call me Miss Sedge just now? I might have done, accidentally. It's Mrs. They carried on walking, and the curve of the path brought them out by a broad pond. Wish we had some bread, said Noel, subdued. Bread? For the ducks. I didn't intend to make you upset. It was only that it seemed odd, your mother being Mrs. Sedge and you being Mrs. Sedge as well, and I put two and two together. They were crossing a square of Heathland now, having taken some complicated path through an elder thicket, and there still wasn't a sign of a house. Mm, Interesting. You wouldn't know you were in London, she said. Much further, is it? No. She followed him round a stand of birch trees and through a hole in a hedge and saw a sunken lane sneaking off to the right. Mm. Noel scrambled down to it and started to run past the green-painted gate of Mrs Holroyd, the clematis arch of the Windbournes, the rustic pergola of Major Lum. V caught up with him at Matty's front gate and together they looked at the four-square villa, up to its window sills in grass, but otherwise unchanged. It's a palace, said V. Look at the size of it. Yeah. So lots of clues there, aren't there? There are. We're we... sitting at the end of the Vale of Health. Yes. We're sitting on, on the edge of the heath, looking back down the said street. It's a right little enclave, isn't it? It's amazing. So what's the line in that? It's a, you wouldn't believe you're in London. Yeah, I, well, I almost said that as we were walking through, didn't I? Yeah. Having got off the 46 bus... And, and the clatter of that. And so we walked up from Hampstead Tube Station through mm. the back of Hampstead and then, yes, up exactly well as they do. walk, exactly as they do, through the edge of the uh, heath. We actually, I think if we had gone the other side of the pond, uh, do you think that's what I it think is? we would have come out at the bottom of the Vale of Health because we'd have been turning right onto uh, the Vale of Health then and we would have walked past those houses. But okay, we can re- we, that we might retrace that on our way out. But it's... Think. um. It's a lovely, lovely little place. I mean, it's obviously quite exclusive. Is it? I, it well, I mean, some, so, of the, some of the flats are quite run down, actually. Yeah, but even so, I mean, it must be really expensive up here, isn't it? Crikey. Well, the ones right at the end are really quite extraordinary. Yeah. And they've got, massive, they've got quite large gardens as well. Yeah, and quite a lot of walls involved as well. I mean, if, as a place to sort of disappear during the war quite a cool place, isn't yeah. it? Yeah, you can imagine, you can, you can see why Noel wanted to come back here after all the trauma. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, it's not been bombed. Nope. Because why would you? 
Well, you, you probably couldn't see it from the air very well during summer anyway. And rather obviously, as you walk past one of the houses, there's a big plaque to D.H. Lawrence. Yes. That's my... I'm, I'm starting to think there's a bit of a literary theme going on. Literary Easter eggs. Well, it's called Crooked Heart, and that is a, a phrase, I think, taken from a W.H. Awarden poem from the 1930s. Right. Which I'm prepared to recite to you in the studio. You don't know it off my heart? Do you know what? I used to know a lot of W.H. Auden by heart. I wrote an essay about him for my Cambridge entrance exam. Oh, really? Or you learned some some stuff off heart? Well, the only other thing... This is going to annoy you. Okay. Do you know where W.H. Auden went to school? Not Gresham's. Yes, he did. Oh, for Pete's sake. (laughs) God, I'm (laughs) sick of it. Absolutely sick to my back teeth. (laughs) Anyway, <laughs> there's plenty more of those to come. <laughs> Just working down the list. So when I suggest a book to you called Crooked Heart, does your brain go Crooked Heart? W.H. Auden? Gresham's. I think the, the, main, the main thing, Lloyd, is that all roads lead there. In all the roads end. lead to Gresham's. Yeah, it's the tentacle, many tentacle sort of influence of Gresham's boys across, across the ages. Okay. Okay, we should do a podcast about that. Maybe we should an episode of Gresham's Old Boys. Yeah, be very popular, wouldn't it? Can you imagine thousands well, of people? This has basically to that. turned into it. So, <laughs> uh, but yes, Avela Health, very lovely place. And this is—I uh, like this as a sort of beginning and ending of the book as a place. Yeah, of a sort of the safe enclave. It's very peaceful enclave. It's very peaceful. I said it's got quite sort of dead air here, isn't, isn't it? it? Yeah. It's very, very quiet. Yeah, it is very quiet, and it is kind of the end of the road. Oh, plunge your hands in water, plunge them in up to the wrist, stare, stare in the basin, and wonder what you've missed. The glacier knocks in the cupboard, the desert sighs in the bed, a crack in the teacup opens a lane to the land of the dead where the beggars raffle the banknotes and the giant is enchanting to Jack and the lily white boy is Aurora and Jill goes down on her back oh look, look in the mirror oh look in your distress life remains a blessing although you cannot bless Oh, stand, stand at the window as the tears scald and start. You shall love your crooked neighbour with your crooked heart. So we can't really talk about this book without talking about the Blitz, can we? No, I don't think we can. It's it's the central event in the book, really, isn't it? Yeah, it's Um, good for us. Yeah. We've done a number of books where they're they're not in a specific place place in history as well they're not a historic event that we can no. pin it on yeah so for dating it's quite helpful the blitz. i would say she pins this very very well oh do you yeah I okay you've done more work on this both, than me. both in terms of detail but also in terms of feel so uh, uh I, I read a lot i about, don't like i don't like uh, it when people go, say yeah, that yeah, right. he's, he's already worried so um i've done a fair about reading i mean the main bit of reading, the main thing i read was uh, philip ziegler's book london at war which is very good the main thing that comes out of that when you look at the preparations for the war, so the stuff that was coming on the 38, particularly either side of the Munich episode, was people were genuinely terrified that a lot of people were going to die. Yep. The committee that was looking at this stuff, there was a committee set up under a chap called Anderson, which is where we get the Anderson shelter from. Anderson's committee 
took it for granted that London would be the immediate target when war broke out. So they thought it was going to happen immediately. Yep. 2,000 tonnes of bombs, they believed, would be dropped in the first 24 hours, 150 in the second, 100 a day for the next month. Each tonne would cause 50 casualties. So they kind of based that on experiences in the First World War. And it was basically just like scientific estimates. They reckoned 50 deaths per tonne, um, to a like third a, of which would be, ca- would be fatal. Sounds to me a bit like a dodgy dossier. Yeah, yeah. They basically thought the air staff were contemplating an all-out attack on London in which 3,500 tonnes of bombs, this is this after what happened in Barcelona in the Spanish Civil War. Oh, I see. Um, right. An all-out, uh, 3,500 tonnes the first 24 hours. By the time the all-clear sounded, 58,000 Londoners would have been killed. Crikey. Uh, and there's a, there's a great quote from Bertrand Russell, peace at any cost, he basically said. And he said, London would be one vast raving bedlam. The hospitals will be stormed. Traffic will cease. The homeless will shriek for peace. The city will be a pandemonium. Gosh. That was the, that was the mindset, right? And then obviously, 3rd of September... You know, war is declared. Yeah, hence the reason for everyone to get out of town. Then people, that's why they evacuated. They were just going to freak out. Now, a couple of things happened, which are just sort of frankly a bit insane. Uh, One of the things they dug trenches in the parks. They literally dug trenches across all the parks. The Home Office asked local authorities to provide trenches that could accommodate up to 10% of the population. They basically thought everyone was going to hide in these trenches. And then uh, people pointed out, a chap called Professor Haldane pointed out that if you dropped a bomb in a trench, yeah, we <laughs> go just well. kill everyone in the trench. Yeah. But yeah, they, they just dug everything up. The other thing that happened is, and she talks about this in the book, is people started killing their pets. There was a mm. massive cull of pets. Where does it mention in the book? I don't remember that. Uh, she mentions she mentions it obliquely, which is what I mean by her being quite clever. I think she wears her research quite lightly, in fact, on this stuff. Yes. She mentions there being no dogs around. Oh, I see. And people just killed them. They just killed them. The, the other thing that happened was oh, in the really? zoo. The zoo was terrible. Ah, oh, no go, visits goes to, the to the zoo. He does. And they, killed, he, they do say that they've killed all the snakes. Chloroform was used to kill the poisonous and constricting snakes. So she mentions that. And I, I feel that this may have, Mr. Evans may have read the same book as me. Yeah, that's what I, um, I'm getting at. Chloroform was used to kill the poisonous and constricting snakes and the black widow spiders. I mean, really specific stuff. Presumably they were worried about them getting out. The aquarium was drained since a direct hit would have released 200,000 gallons of water. Some fish were eaten. Lovely. <laughs> some bottled from museums. Some found new homes. The manatees were shot. The pandas, mating elephants, and a few other animals were evacuated to Whipsnade. The carnivores remained. They hit all the carnivores. Though when an alert sounded, riflemen patrolled the cages in case a bomb led to escapes. Wow. They closed the zoo, but then it was open again by mid-September. Okay. Um, and became quite a... So it is viable that Noel went to visit to, it then? Place to, place to visit, yeah. And the other thing that was mentioned in Philip Ziegler is, and they mentioned in the book, sandbags. People yes. went nuts for sandbags. They just started <laughs> digging up everything and filling up, filling up sandbags. So that's the picture. And the Vale of Health is, was very sandy, wasn't it? The Vale of Health was very sandy. So that's the picture at the start of the war. Oh. And then, you know, the war is declared. At 11 a.m. on 3rd of September, the plaintive voice of Neville Chamberlain informed the nation that it was at war. At 11.27, the air raid sirens in London announced that a raid was imminent. In fact, a stray French aircraft had blundered into Britain's defences <laughs> and triggered a false alarm. Now, and this happened throughout the, the following year, the false alarms, people got really sick of it. And the other thing that people got really sick of was the blackout. They imposed the blackout straight away. Yeah. And people hated the blackout. They really did. It was just appalling for them. And so people got gradually, so it's not going to happen. They got sick of it happening. Got a bit but of, then, oh. obviously... Then the Blitz did actually start. So they got locked down fatigue. The first alert since that French thing had come in was in Notting Hill. 
Oh. Uh, in Notting Hill, 30% of the population failed to wake up. <laughs> um, the, the Germans began to attack airfields around the capital in August. And that's when the Londoners first heard heavy bombardment. And on the 15th of August, German bombers struck Croydon Airport. Then, here we go, at about four o'clock on Saturday the 7th of September, Colin Perry was bicycling over Ch- Chipstead Hill. He heard planes overhead and glanced up to see whether they were fighters or bombers. It was the most amazing, impressive, riveting sight. Directly above me were literally hundreds of planes. Germans! The sky was full of them. Bombers hemmed in with fighters like bees around their queen, like destroyers around the battleship. So came Jerry. God. Only 25 minutes after war has been declared comes the first air raid warning. This was the opportunity for the people of Britain to demonstrate their traditional calm in the face of danger. There was no sign of panic. Men and women in the streets made their way quickly to the nearest shelter and queued up in orderly processions at the entrance. Although the alarm proved to be a false one, it was a swift reminder of what war now means to the civilian and a dramatic introduction to the new order of things. We heard four bombs dropped in a row, didn't we? Ours was the fourth. I'll bet this was where the third one landed. It's about a quarter of a mile away and there have been no raids in this bit of London since then. He's right, said the elderly gentleman standing beside him. The buggers dropped a stick of half-tonners going nor-nor-west. Pardon my language. Pardoned, said V, closing her eyes again. Noel laid a ruler across his mental map of North London, lined up the first two sites and after some consideration marked the next cross beside St Dominic's Priory. He felt guiltily pleased when the bus passed two friars exiting the church through a hole in the Lady Chapel wall. There was a crater in the playground of St Dominic's School next door and a huge leafless tree beside the road had snapped like a toothpick. The exposed wood was a sheaf of pale yellow splinters. Noel shifted the imaginary ruler southeast. First one they dropped was the worst, said the old gentleman. It had a gas main. Firefighters there till morning. Diversion, called the conductor. We will be diverting down Queen's Crescent and then Haverstock Hill. Noel worked out where the next mark would come and frowned. The bus swung round a corner. Which street had the gas main? asked Noel. Mafeking Road. V opened her eyes. What was that? Mafeking Road. Blew up half the damn street, said the old gentleman. Pardon my language. V nudged Noel. Ring the bell, she said. Ooh. Road. This is very exciting. It's so Mafeking Road, I think, is a fictional street. Yes. I've been unable to find any record of it existing before the war. Which isn't to say it didn't, but I've not been able to find anything. So where is Mafeking Road? You can work it out, actually. Well, it got bombed, didn't it? So if you assume there is a line of four bombs, the last of which lands... And we know where the last one lands. It lands at South End Green. Yes. Because that's where V and uh, Noel are. And we know that the second one lands at St Dominic's Priory. Yes, which is, an, is a real place. We also know that the bus, the 46, which still runs today, You're excitingly... Yeah, we just saw one, didn't we? ...runs down Malden Road, NW5. Yeah. We know that the bus is diverted down Queen's Crescent. And we are... We're sitting on the corner of Malden Road and Queen's Crescent. Exactly where the bus would have been diverted. So if the bus... The only reason the bus has been diverted is that the bomb has gone off past that junction... Yeah. Now, behind us, where we're sitting, 
uh, on one side of the road there are lots of old Georgian housing mm-hmm. and on Queen's Crescent itself on this side of the road there's lots of old Georgian housing there is behind us there is only 50s and 60s flats that's right yeah so I am proposing that this is the where the first bomb dropped in that line of four and that's why the bus would have then that's why the bus couldn't go down here right and that's where Mafeking Road is. And Mafeking Road is obviously where Noel's aunt and uncle, who aren't his aunt and uncle, live. And uh, they live in a four-storey house. Oh, well, that's good too, isn't and it? And the houses here are four storeys. Some of them are. Yep. So this all works. This is quite good as a place. It's a, yeah, it's rather sad, actually, because he comes back. His uncle is a warden, comes back to check up on his wife and goes back home. And then they both get drowned yeah. in the basement. Yeah. Because obviously when the bomb goes off, then the sewers explode in the water mains. Yeah. And they're drowned. And I was looking that up on, uh, online, mm. and apparently that wasn't that uncommon, that people who lived in basement flats were mm. drowned during the war. Horrendous. That's a really awful, isn't it? Horrendous. You see, and that was why I was saying to you, I thought, well, maybe there's a re- good reason to make up Mafeking Road, because if you picked a real road where that really happened, yeah. you'd be using those real people as material for your fictional world, wouldn't yeah. you, in a way that was a bit off. But if you look at this part of London you can draw a line between four separate bombs that ends around here. Okay, good. Well, you're going to be able to do a li- one of your... I was going to say childish, but I'll say childlike maps. <laughs> Did you say... Um, where the bombs drop. Charmingly you? naive. Yeah, that's what we would call it. Yeah. yeah. Uh, They're following the train line, aren't they? I realise. Well, we walk down here from Gospel Oak. Well, it's interesting, the, 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 the line, all the all the buildings along the railway line look all, like they're post-war. They're all post-war. They're all post-war. And, and there's it a scene in the book, right, that, when they say yeah. that they say they're going along the railway line and uh, a row of houses by the railway line. I've, I've, got, I've, got, I've had it. They've yeah. got it. So maybe and the plane was following the railway. the railway line. I think the bombers probably were following the railway line yeah. down from the heath. I think you found us a good spot. I think this is good. I think this makes good sense. And also, the 46 bus is a treat. Because Coming also in. we're now, we yeah. are pretty much halfway between Chetwind Road and the Vale of Health, aren't we? Yeah. We've earned ourselves a bus ride. I mean, that's the, um... So we're on the 46 bus. You're very excited, aren't you? We're on the same bus going that uh, Via Knoll take down from Vale of Health. We're going the other direction. On Malden Road. St Dominic's Priory. There we go, that's where the... St Dominic's Priory. That's where the, uh, the second bomb lands. We're following the bombs, and there it is. Very exciting. So, um, <laughs> it's, it's a bit of a stupid question. But when is this book set? <laughs> when is this book set? <laughs> is it? Is it? Is it related to the Second World War in some way? I mean, there's quite a lot of stuff. Obviously, quite a lot of dates given in the book. She gives dates. Uh, she gives events that happened. She also has Mrs. Sedge, Flora Sedge, V's mother writing letters to Churchill, yes. which are all dated. all very amusing. Quite uh, Dickensian, that. It's yeah, rather Mr Dickish, I'd say. Um, so there's various clues. I mean, obviously, the children are evacuated on the 4th of September 1939. She talks about Poland being invaded, and she does this very well again. Poland was being invaded, and the summer holiday was almost over. <laughs> yes. So that's early September. Matty dies in December. Then, actually, uh, we slightly lose track of Noel, don't we? Because the next thing that happens doesn't happen until June. When they're evacuated again. Yes, there's a bit of a gap. Well, he's been staying with his uncle Geoffrey, hasn't he? Yeah. Oh, that's right. Of course, he's been staying with Geoffrey and Marjorie. 
can't wait to get rid of him, can they, really? No. There's a question about what date he actually arrives in St Albans. Yes, question mark. Well, V tells Irene about her bladder stone on the 14th of June and then sees her again the previous Thursday, which I think is sometimes, so that's sometimes between 21st and 28th of June. Yeah. And then she leaves a note for Ezra Rigg on the 22nd of June, uh, which I think is the day that she sees Noel. Okay. So I think Noel arrives in St Albans on the 22nd of June. 1940. 1940. So does that, does she that also tie gets a in with demand. when evacuees were sent? Yes. It does. That's exactly right. Okay, good. Boring so, out. Tick. I mean, his his school had already been evacuated once to, to Wales. He doesn't go with them. And then they, they've obviously come back to London in the interim, and then they're evacuated again to St Albans. V gets a rate demand. Yes. With payment due July the 31st, so I think she probably gets that on June the 30th. So all that stuff about them collecting dodgy money, I think, is happening over the summer. Yeah. The book jumps ahead, then, to the 1st of September 1940. Yes. According to Mrs Sedge. And they've moved to the bookshop by then. They have. So sometime the, over the summer they moved to the bookshop. I'm afraid there's a mention of a full moon. Yeah, I just noticed a mention of the full moon. Did you, I bet you saw I that kinda, and you thought, I oh, went, God. I'll leave that one to oh, God. the lunar god. Yeah, I haven't bothered. All right, okay. So, yeah, so in the week since, she talks about in the week since the last visit, the Luftwaffe had knocked lumps out of the northwestern suburbs. So I don't really know when that can be, other than when they meet Mrs. Gifford, he talks about, Three further visits over as many weeks, so once a week, to Mrs. Gifford's this Yes, in September. Yeah, so four weeks at September the 9th, takes you to the 7th of October. So maybe they're talking about attacks in the northwest around September the 30th, I would say. Okay. When Noel sort of, when he he goes to London with Donald, doesn't he? Oh, there's a very date for that, because it's in Donald's appointments on the 29th of October. There you go. And Noel says it's balmy for October. Right. The weather. Did you check that? Hmm? Did you check that? I didn't check the weather either. <laughs> Do you know what? I, I'm going to say it now is that because it's in World War II and it is these months, pinning it down to the specific days, I sort of rather gave up because I, I felt like this is a bit like the secret agent for me. And it's a bit where I'm going to keep going back to what Lisa Evans says. She was, it's all very believable. It all hangs in rough, roughly. It's a bit like the locations we've said before. I, I, we I, strongly, I strongly disagree. As we, oh, really? I think she knows exactly the dates this is happening. I think she's got a grid. Because if, if you look at what's happening on the 29th of October go and you on, go through the dates, come on. it's pretty clear to me. I mean, I can go through it. So 29th of October, Noel and Donald go to London. Yes. And Mrs. Sedge leaves. Donald stays in Kensington. Noel goes to Kentish Town. Donald goes back to St. Albans. It gets back after midnight. Because yeah. she's on the stairs okay. waiting for him. So that's on the 30th of October. Then she heads over to uh, Brickett Wood with his letter. Mm. And so she spends the whole night travelling around but on the t- yes. 30th of October. So she gets to Mafeking Road on the evening of the 30th of October. Meanwhile, Noel has gone from Kensington to try and you know find the pawn shop and all that kind of stuff. Can't really find it. Spends the night... In Kentish Town Tube Station, yes. on the 30th of October. On the 30th of October, he heads for the Vale of Health, goes to the house, spends that night in the South End Lane shelter, so the night of the 30th of October. That's the night of... And V finds him in... Because he, he comes out of the shelter on that night between the 30th and the 31st. Yeah. So, so that's when V finds him, and that's the night of the, the four the bomb. bombs that go north to northwest. So I, I know we've had some issues with some of the locations on the dates. So I think she's absolutely bang on. Uh, she knows exactly what she's doing. She's got a grid. I love it. I love you. I, you're, you're not usually like this. <laughs> you don't go into this detail. It's usually my job. You've yeah. done it for me. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's, no, I just, I just think it's. It's fun. funny how you just, you got into it, and I gave up. 
Well, the, other, the, the last thing she says is, is that uh, when V wakes up in Hampstead General Hospital, this is why I know she's on, on it, and this is what I mean about her wearing her research lightly. The, uh, the orderly says, the eye ties are bombing Greece. Oh. So the Italian, the Italian campaign to invade Greece began on the 28th of October and was over by the 13th of November. So she goes into the hospital on the 31st of October. She's right in the middle of the Italian campaign on Greece. Well, I must say, I want to just give you a little clap there because <laughs> you've got the 30th of October, 1940. Is when the bomb, by the night of the, between the 30th and the 31st is when the bomb very falls speci- on We've Mafeking got to a Road. very specific date oh, in the so, book through so. you following it through. Yeah. Bravo, sir. <laughs> Bravo. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to Quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Let's try the streets behind the reservoir, he said. Is it RAF today? Pilot's benevolent fund, Noel, took the collecting box out of his gas mask case and dropped in the usual pennies. Let's go, shall we? We can cut across here. They climbed a set of steps and found themselves beside a bleak oblong pond level with the rooftops. A woman was throwing crusts to a solitary swan. Cast thy bread upon the waters, thought V. Someone's got food to waste, she said. Mm-hmm. So uh, the bit you missed off the front of that was they've taken the bus to Hornsey. Yes. He says, on the Monday afternoon they went to Hornsey. Noel got off the bus they'd taken from Kentish Town and sniffed the air. Right. Uh, We're a bit confused, aren't we? Hornsey's quite a long way north of Kentish Town. You have to cross Archway. You have to go across Archway, which is fine if you're on the bus, but then they meet Mrs Gifford. Great character. Great character, who is later given a location... A Chetwind Road. Yes. Which is actually near Dartmouth Park Reservoir. 
yeah, well, that was where we're hunch. standing now. So you brought us to Dartmouth Park on an exciting journey to come and sit on this this big Victorian covered it's reservoir. A, it's got a fantastic view, view over, over South East London. London and your nemesis struck again, Tim. Little shits. Your corporate nemesis. Yeah, the people who always put up signs saying, we're making improvements. Thames Water. I've seen those signs for the last ten years. In our, where we live in All over where London. I live. We're making improvements. So and they, they continue to make improvements by digging up more holes. So they have closed... And shutting the park. They've closed <coughs> Dartmouth Park. Oh, hello. So it's a bit noisy here. So we're standing outside the Dartmouth Park entrance uh, on Dartmouth Park Hill. So we're a bit confused by this because there is a reservoir up at Hornsey. It's a long way from here and it's a long way from Chetwind Road, which the book gives as Mrs Gifford's address. That's right. Which is just near Dartmouth Park. Well, that's right. So it would make much more sense if there was a park here. Now, the only other problem, of course, is I've looked at the history of this, is that Dartmouth Park was a covered reservoir since the late 1800s. Yeah. There wasn't a public park here until uh, after the second, well after the Second World War. Yeah. And there's no evidence of any kind of pond where a swan would swim. So what the book is asking us to uh, believe... It does have steps up and yeah. then would be look over the roofs of the houses yeah. to the south wouldn't be a pond, would it? No. So the book is asking us to believe that Mrs Gifford, who is both independent and also very skittish, yeah. has gone to Hornsey, presumably to feed by the swans. To feed the swans, when she's actually very close to Highgate and Hampstead Heath. And then she gets back home before they do, yes. before they come knocking around. Yeah. So she's quite fast on her pegs as well. It's, um, it's a, it doesn't quite work, does it? We're the a bit Hornsey puzzled thing, by this one. I think the Hornsey thing's a bit of a red herring. Well, I honestly Hornsey do. Hornsey feels like wrong, doesn't it? I think this is... This is someone who, who's a bit free and easy with where they think Hornsey is. <laughs> also, it's, it's does, worth saying... And, and does I the f- author live in Crouch End? I feel bad for that. I don't know. I feel bad for, uh, for this one, but uh, Chetwind Road is also called Chetwind Street in the book. Oh, that really... You, the, the, There's an internal... The anger rose in you. The inter- well, not, not the author, actually. The, the anger rose at the copy editor. You should have spotted that one. Street, I road, whatever. No, Street, well. road. Blimey, that was close. I think it came down in the woods. Here, what are you lot doing hiding in here? Shouldn't you be out looking for parachutes? Why don't you clear off? Mind your own business. Ah, don't you start Napoleon. Why aren't you out ARPing? <laughs> there were three doors off the hall, and as they passed, the third opened, and a man in a warden's boiler suit came out, carrying his helmet. He glanced up the stairs after Mrs Gifford, and then gave V and Noel a grin. He had a pitted face, and eyes as mild and brown as a heifer's. There goes the living storybook, he said. New tale every minute, none of them true. It's years of... He mimed, lifting a bottle to his mouth. Sent her right round the bend. Came from Gentry, too. He winked at V and she smiled primly and put a hand on Noel's shoulder. The man lingered. Invited you in, has she? That's right. She wants to give us a contribution. I wouldn't go if I was you. Why ever not? Not a good example for the lad, is it? Oh. So they are Mrs Gifford's house. Mrs Gifford's house? Now, the address isn't given in this section, but later on, the address is given as 14. Number 14 is mentioned. Chetwind Road. Well, it, it's mentioned Chetwind Road at one point, and then it, rem- it, it mentions number 14, number 14 in another place. Right. And then right at the end... It's called Chetwind Street. Uh, Noel says to her, oh, I used to come and visit you in your house at Chetwind Street. Right. So, so maybe it's Noel who made the mistake rather than the author. Well, as I say, I, I found that similar in Get Carter... The Jack Carter keeps calling places that are called road, like Jackson Road, Jackson, Jackson Street. Street. Yeah. So maybe it's a vernacular thing that people call 
thin street when they're labelled road. There's definitely only one Chetwind something around here, right, well, it, in North London. It's good as well because there's a moment when they say, oh, we might as well walk from here over to Mrs Gifford's house and they walk across the heath. And the heath is directly, and the heath is directly opposite. You would then cut into Chetwind Road from here yeah, quite yeah. well. Quite nicely. It makes sense. Now, so that all works... But what works less well is number 14 itself. Yeah. Having been there, it's mm. quite a small, I would say maybe Edwardian house. Yeah. It's only got two floors. It doesn't have a basement. It's not it big even, enough. It doesn't even have a sort of loft conversion. It's not that deep thing. either, I don't think. So re- reading this now, there's at least three flats downstairs mm. and at least one upstairs. And there's a half, one and a half flights of stairs. I don't think that house is big enough. No. There are other houses on Chetwin Street which are big enough. Oh, you just said Chetwin Street now. Chetwin Road, Chetwin Street. What is it? I'm a <laughs> lot confused. Chetwin Avenue. <laughs> um, there are other houses on Chetwind, whatever it is, uh, which are big enough. They are. There's quite a collection of motley collection of houses. There's some Georgian houses and yeah. some big Victorian houses. Yeah. And, uh, it's roughly... So it's sort of roughly right again. I, quite I feel like there's a trend going on here. It gives you pretty much the rough location like the area in which it would be yeah. with a good descriptions of more or less what that area is like yeah. but when we get down to the specificity of an actual address or place yeah. not going to happen so we're in one of those situations where either the author has decided that's not artistically important or relevant which obviously we would disagree with her about but She's entitled to her opinion. Well, everyone's entitled to an opinion. Or she's being, but why are you listening to this if you be, <laughs> if you don't care about dates and locations? Or she's being uh, <laughs> deliberately vague slash playful slash esoteric. Well, I think it's perfectly fine imaginatively. We find this a lot, don't we? That people take a building that they like the look of. It's got the right sort of scale and uh, sort of topography for who has to live in it, and then they yeah. plonk it in a slightly different place. Yeah for getting about, as it were. I think the interesting thing about this book, though, is there's some, some locations which are very specific. Yeah. Vale of Health is one. And there's some locations which are far less specific. I think probably the, the most obvious one is, is the reservoir slash pond, Hornsey, that whole bit. And then there's some places which don't seem to exist at all, like Mafeking Road. Yes, and to. Solomon Road is mentioned yeah. as well around here. So there's some Chuck completely made-up places. Um, it's an interesting mix, isn't it? Yeah, it's quite good in that way. Yeah, I'm feeling a bit unrooted by it, if I'm honest. Are which you? Is kind of a maybe that's a good thing. Mm. I feel like when we were in St Albans, I kept feeling that I was getting lost, and I wasn't sure that was St Albans, me or the book. Well, that might be a good thing. That might be the sweet spot where you're sort of in the right part of the real world, but you've passed through the veil into the world of fiction. Oh wow! That's whilst really... walking around in the real world. Wow. Line in the witch in the wardrobe. Yeah, we've got one foot in the wardrobe and one <laughs> foot out the back. <laughs> Interesting. So um, then maybe that's uh, that's a good thing for yeah. a writer to be able to take you on a trip around the real world, but actually in your head you're in another world. Yeah, absolutely. That's a bit like reading, isn't it? It's a bit like fiction. So I read a lot of stuff that was written during the Second World War. That was my sort of gold standard. Books that was, were written and published during the Second World War, often by emergency workers, um, wardens, um, firemen, ambulance workers. And because they were written and published so quickly, they were so authentic. And the language, you, you know the language in them is 
is absolutely right and the observations are what people saw and I love that and what you're not getting is you're not getting considered memories where stuff is filtered out you are getting the the immediate impact of what's going on and for me that helped enormously because once you start viewing a period through the eyes of the people who lived in it I think the plots then become inherent for that period you don't glue stuff on you you live it so we come to the part of the podcast where we narrow down this work of fiction that took the author years to write of months of research and pain uh, and we give it a number <laughs> yeah cheeky eh <laughs> very cheeky i hope people don't take this bit too seriously because um, i don't think they take any we, of it seriously <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no don't take any of it seriously so we give two numbers we give a number for how curiously specific the book is about dates and locations yes and we give another number that we laughably call artistic uh, achievements <laughs> yes um <laughs> like like in like in ice skating or something like that. Should we start with the artistic achievement score? Yeah, go on. You, you start. Uh, I'm giving this a high score yes. because um, it it passed the reread test with flying colours. I would say. Yeah. I really enjoyed rereading. I read it. I think when it came out or soon after it came out. I think I'm going to give it an eight. Wow. Just because I think it's you know it's uh, she does that thing that I think is really rare and I, you know. I've certainly never even attempted to do it. She does funny very well. Yes. But she also does funny and tragic really well. Yeah. Such the tragic becomes more tragic and the funny becomes funnier. Yeah. Which I think is a really rare skill. So I, I agree. I think, I think and I also I think she wears her, as I've said multiple times, I think she wears her research actually quite lightly, which is quite hard when you're writing historical fiction, I think. Mm. Um, believe me. No, no, <laughs> so, I can um, see that I, you've I think had that experience, yeah. haven't you? So I think, uh, yeah, so it's an eight for me. I think it's a, I think it's a fantastic book. Okay. I'm, I think you've talked me into an eight there. Okay. I was going to give it a seven. Right. Um, but I'm going to give it an eight because of what uh, you convinced me. Right. It's very good. <laughs> and as Bono said to me on the television the other day, though, he speaks to me. Was the television on? <laughs> he, he said the enemy of great is very good. Right. Okay. I think that was... I don't know what he means. Well, he was talking about why you two are so shit. <laughs> Is that really he doesn't know he was, he was talking about, about that, but that's what he was talking <laughs> okay. about. Show don't tell. So it's not uh, it's not Barry Hines and it's not Gwendolyn Riley. No, both of whom got a nine or a ten. From yeah, us. I think I, th- I think that's fair. So then an eight. I think those are those yeah. are artistic achievements of a very high order. Yeah, yeah I think yeah. this is as you say, just a very good book. Not just a very good book. It's, it is a very good book. It's very well written. It's got fantastic characters. She's As you completely said, it does light and shade very well. I thought it was interesting what you said about her taking a long time, actually. Yeah. Because um, it, it takes a lot of work to make something look effortless, right? Absolutely. <laughs> and, uh, and, yeah, uh, yeah. And I, I think it's a testament to how good this book is, is that she felt so in love with the characters that she then did write out a sort of trilogy. So the old baggage is... About centered around Matty, Matty the character, yeah. a, a prequel, and then a sequel going back to talk about what happened to Noel and V next, yeah. as it were. And I, that book, I, th- I haven't read it yet, but I w- will definitely read because yeah. I've got so engaged in yeah. their story of the characters. So I think to have achieved that is. I definitely want to read all difficult next. and good. Okay, so curiously it, specific. Here we go. The curiously specific the Q spec rating. rating. Yeah. Well, as I say, it's it's nice to have a book where you've got some very specific historic dates that you just can't get away from yeah. like the 3rd of September 1939. Yeah. Of course we've we've come we've used that date before 
for um, Hangover Square because George kills himself on the 3rd of September. He does. 1939, so he just does. as he's dying. He does. So we're filling, in the, we're filling in the calendar with this podcast, really. Yes. Well, the, we're going to have every year covered by the time we expire. Yes, well, it's nice to see when characters from one book bump into another, date-wise, date and location-wise. Yeah. Okay. Anyway, that's Get all. Get on with it. Get on with it. Okay. <laughs> so you have to give it a reasonably high score. And because of your extraordinary bomb-dating feat... Yeah. I'm going eight. Oh, I'm really surprised. I'm really surprised. I thought you were going to go for a lower number because of the uh, the, the war memorial in Brickett Wood. Well, I'll tell you what it is. I would have given... When we did The Secret Agent, that was obviously playing games about whether this was the London of the 1880s or the 1900s. Yes. And whether it was before the Great Western Improvement or after. Yeah. And that was a bit of a problem, right, yeah. about locating places because yeah. they were sort of uh, what, under, underground, 20 feet underground, yeah, yeah, yeah. 30 feet underground. And yet that book worked. Yeah. That book kind of worked. Yeah. And would have, if we weren't giving ratings in our first series, but I, I would have given it a reasonably high rating. Yeah. So this business of being believable about yeah. your locations rather than entirely specific, actually works quite well. If, you, if that's what you're doing, if you set out in the book and say, well, it's, you've just got to believe, make it believable. It doesn't have to be com- entirely accurate. Yeah. It kind of gives the novel a bit of room to breathe, maybe, yeah, absolutely. rather yeah. than being yeah. too mappy. I'm surprised you're, very, um, you're, normally far, uh, you're normally far meaner on this stuff than, uh, than I, I have am. been. Do you know what? I think it's because I've been so mean to other people. <laughs> I think she's getting the benefit of me feeling a bit guilty about how mean I've been to other authors. Yeah. I feel I need to lay off a bit. Yeah, okay. Well, I'm also giving it an H, just because, as I say, I think the the dates around the bombing and when all that happened and also the way it ties into what was happening outside in the real world and the way she pulls that stuff in, I think, is really smart and clever. So, yeah, I'll give it an 8 as well. Wow, so she's uh, got 32. 32. So, overall, she's I think she's coming out as one of the highest scoring... Yeah. Uh, books, yeah. a very good book. Yeah, that is nicely specific about dates. Yeah, and entirely believable about locations. <laughs> and uh, I, just, I can roll out of bed onto that train in about five minutes. Yeah, just zip up to St Albans, get it all mapped out, take a little stroll across Hampstead, and come home. It's two great walks, isn't it? Oh, it's just uh, two great walks. it's a breeze. So that's the end of our Thames Link adventure, as I like to call it. Um, the Thames Link Challenge. That's right. We have some thank yous to, to make. Our main one, as usual, as always, is to learning music uh, for the use of his or her or their music. Um, is it our theme? Are we allowed to say it's our theme? Our though? theme. I keep calling it the Basie Lou because it's not really a theme tune. Um, the whole, there is a whole song called Trebek's Lament, if you want to know what the whole song is like. Yeah. Um, and it's on the Free Music Archive. I always think Trebek's Lament sounds like a piece of chamber music when I see the name of it come up on the... Uh, <laughs> I know, but, uh, it really isn't. It's a funky kind of uh, bassy loop. Yes, it's, it's one, one of those songs where the, where the intro loop doesn't quite prepare you for what the song's going to be like. That's my little teaser for you. Okay, go listen to it on Free Music Archive. I also want to say thank you to Gabby Chappie. Happy Gabby Chappie. Oh, hello Gabby. Because this book is dedicated to Gabby Chappie. We both know Gabby Chappie. Um, I don't think I would have read this book without her recommending it or I think leaving a copy in my house. Yeah. Not for me, probably for my wife. Uh, So I I, I wouldn't be here without Gabby Chappie. Okay. I also would say that um, she's been a 
a, a very enthusiastic listener of our podcast. She's lovely. She leaves lovely reviews. She makes and... very positive comments, and uh, she's someone whose opinion I really respect. So I, I, I rather think I might not even be doing this. I might have given up by now. Right. If it wasn't for the opinion of Happy Gabby Chappie. So, so Gabby, no pressure. <laughs> <laughs> well, and people like her, you know. Yeah. Sometimes there's people you just want to impress, aren't there? Well, well there's Don't lots. We've we've got we've got we've got we've made lots of. Fr- I mean, I've made who, lots of. Who, I know who do Gabby's you think of when you're making a podcast? Uh, who, <laughs> who do are I you think trying of to impress? When I'm, making my I'm probably Jeff at Spyright. Hey Jeff, you're quite right. I really try to. Impress. That's pretty good. That is pretty good. Uh, I like that. So you too, listener, could 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 be like that. Yeah, you could yeah. be. You could be the person we're thinking of. As you can tell, Tim's quite needy. So you know, if you could, <laughs> if you could. Uh, <laughs> Actually, I'm really choosy. Yes, <laughs> right. He's needy and choosy. Needy and it's a choosy. tricky combination. Fatal combination. <laughs> So, if you could follow Tim on uh, social media, <laughs> yes, I am at Moongolfer on all social platforms. I'm right. very easy to find. Yeah, you obviously. Um, but really, you should be following Curiously Spec on at Twitter. Curiously Spec. Yeah, uh, that's what Stig of our marketing department would like us to say. Um, you can find us on Instagram as the Curiously Specific Book Club, and there is also a Facebook page. If you just search for Curiously Specific Book Club, you should find it. Yes, absolutely. And that will give you quite quick and easy links through to our website or to the. Uh, podcast itself, yeah. and to some of the rather nice um, threads and posts that we write about uh, uh, the books that we yeah we read and, you, and we the share adventures some, we have. You've made some lovely little uh, videos, sort of audiograms, recently, which have been really successful. That's and right. And if you well. like, if you like video, then you should be joining us on Patreon because we put up videos as well as maps and all our show notes. Yeah. So, so uh, come join us there. Come and join us wherever you are. Be, be, be more like Gabby Chappie. <laughs> uh, leave us a There's review. Anyone. <laughs> And uh, we'll see you next time. Yes. Don't forget, of course, that the show notes, if you're into World War II, our show notes are getting out of hand in terms of, we got, we're doing three books on World War II, and they're getting longer and longer in terms of the research notes. They so uh, uh, if, you've got any, if you've got any kind of exam coming up about <laughs> World War II literature, this is a really we, short we've way. We've done the reading. Yeah, we've done, we've done it for you. <laughs> Check it out. And uh, we'll see you next time for our next podcast. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. 
Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.